quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's such a weird school year. It's such a strange school year. And people saw this coming, but they didn't really have a way of fixing it. And now we're seeing what that really looks like. And that really looks like a huge, huge, huge achievement gap based on where you come from, based on your income, based on your access to technology, based on race and other factors that we look at when we look at how schools are unequal in this country. That's CNN correspondent Evan McMorris-Santoro, who's been covering education. And of course he's right. It's been a strange school year for sure. In fact, that's probably an understatement. Even before school started, we parents, doctors, and educators alike all braced for chaos and expected the worst. That was even after so many schools struggled in the spring. When the coronavirus sent most of the country into disarray, there were so many unknowns. We didn't know if schools should be completely virtual or in person or if we could somehow do both in a hybrid model. We didn't know if schools would become hotspots for outbreaks. We didn't know if our children could actually do well online. Well, now that the fall semester is almost over, I wanted to check back in with Evan to see how schools, parents, and students are navigating education in the midst of this pandemic. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Evan, thanks for joining us back on the podcast. I would like to ask about New York specifically for a second, because I think maybe that is a, a, a good example of what's happened over the last couple of weeks there that may give some insights overall. The, the, they had made the decision to, to close schools based on the positivity rate in New York City. Um, that decision is now being changed where they're going to allow, my understanding is, allow younger students to come back to school. Well, I'll tell you, it's been very interesting covering the schools in New York. As the fall semester wore on and as things went on, uh, testing in New York has improved a great deal. And people have felt that now there's enough testing inside schools that they can prove that the uh, transmission rate inside schools and the virus infection rate inside schools is, is low enough and it's safe enough that schools can reopen. Now, they're going ahead with this big experiment to put kids back in classrooms here in New York City. It's it's really it's fascinating, and I think some ways what you just described, Evan, is is a is a uh, gives a glimpse of of the response to this pandemic overall. You know, you learn things along the way, you make decisions based on what you know at the time, and I, you know, I was skeptical in the beginning that schools could open safely as well. In fact, I kept my girls out of school; they had the choice to go back or to stay virtual. I kept them back, which was really challenging. I mean, I got three tween and teen girls, and they they wanted to be with their friends. But you know what I what I what I've learned I think is interesting is that the positivity rates within schools, at least the the the, the data that I've looked at, has been remarkably low. One of the things I thought about a lot, most parents thought about a lot, is just the academics. Um, is the education going to be as good 
if kids are in a virtual environment or will kids get left behind? Do, do you have any more insights on that in terms of what we've learned? Yes, actually, we are getting data on that, Sanjay, and it is remarkable. You have to look at the pandemic in two, when it comes to education in two separate versions of it, which is what happened in the spring, just kind of like an emergency. It was like an, an extended snow day for most schools. Kids went home. Uh, the school said, look, grades aren't going to count anymore. We're going to do a pass-fail system. We're going to be online. We don't really, we're, we're going to build this as we go. Let's see what we can do. That ended uh, when the school year ended uh, in June or, or uh, May, depending on where you are. And then as the fall semester began, school said, look, we have now had the entire summer to prepare for this, and we are now going to do real school. A virtual school is going to be the same as uh, in-person school. We are going to do grades. We're going to do tests. A lot of people told me at the beginning of this that they were very, very worried about the existing inequities in the school system and how that maneuver by the school systems across the country to make uh, this as normal a school year as possible, what impact that would have. And we're starting to get some numbers that show the impact was actually pretty great. Um, a few school systems, very large school systems have, have reported their data. Fairfax County in Virginia, which is a large and sort of diverse school system, a lot of wealthy parents as well, they have seen a huge increase uh, in Fs and, and, and other failing grades for some of their students. And we're seeing it in other school systems across the country as well. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, in the Midwest, in, in St. Paul, Minnesota reported similar numbers of, of just rising increases of Fs. What's happening is that kids who are already struggling are now struggling more than they were before. That basically, if whatever inequities went into this system at the beginning have now been exacerbated. And so you're seeing this problem. You're seeing this problem of, uh, of there are kids who were doing well already and they're doing pretty much fine. And then there are the children who are struggling already and they're struggling even more. And that's what these early numbers are showing us. And it's a real concern because that's something that we have to worry about as we get back to normal school and get back to normalcy in the coming year. I mean, those are some concerning sort of trends, obviously. When you talk about the the percentage of, of children who, who failed, was that more likely to occur among, you know, middle schoolers versus high schoolers? Or, or did this sort of affect people, uh, affect these students more broadly? So what we've seen from some of this data is that younger students were more affected than the older ones. In that Fairfax data, we saw that middle schoolers reported an average uh, 300% increase in Fs, while high schoolers had a 50% increase. It's at younger age where things are really having the tr having the trouble right now, which is actually interesting because, you know, that's a hard age to be cooped up looking at your computer all day and doing school all day. Um, and those are kids who are sort of getting into the earliest days of the serious academics that happen in your later education years. And they're the ones who are struggling the most right now, Sanjay, according to some of this early data. What is concerning, though, is, is these trends and, and affecting people who are already vulnerable. What is it that you think that is really driving this huge disparity uh, in terms of grades? We've seen uh, educators talk about how uh, much of a struggle it has been to bring people into an equal level with this online school that their school systems have spent a fortune trying to get devices into people's hands, trying to get people trained on how to use those devices. Um, I did a story about the school system in Baltimore where they have, uh, there's a guy at a middle school who his job all day is to call students on the phone, 
and find out why they haven't logged into their online classes. And if they can't find them, find their parents. The amount of effort that's gone into making this happen. And what's happening is that people just, they just don't know how to do this. That that once they start doing this, people start doing a little bit, then they, okay, well, maybe I can't log into this class for today. I can't figure it out today. I can't get the link to work today. Then that day is gone. Everybody has seen these images of students in rural parts of the United States having to drive to a fast food parking lot to try and log on to their online school using their school provided devices. That's because internet access isn't that common uh, as people think it is. There are plenty of parts of the country that, that, don't, that don't even have it. And that includes in big urban areas like where I am in New York City. People just don't have access to the internet. I had a teacher tell me, you know, at a, at a community college that many of her students filed their term papers to her on their iPhones because they didn't have access to a computer. They didn't have access to the online, you know, you know, you know, to a broadband connection. So they would use their, their, they would tap out a term paper on a phone and send it in that way. So that's a, that's one barrier. The other barrier is you talk about the idea of, you know, teachers really know a lot about what they're doing and they really know what it, what goes on inside a classroom and, and, and how to keep kids focused. On the other hand, Online education is a very different kind of education. And the educators in America, the, the ones that have been trained and are really serious about their jobs, most of them, they are classroom education experts. And when you put them in this new environment of trying to do online school, you're not really playing to their strengths. How would you say teachers are doing overall? Teachers are overwhelmed and exhausted. I mean, if you think about the people who are on the front lines of this, the the people we have told that, look, you're in charge of returning this country to as much normalcy as possible. I want my student to have the same education that he or she had before this pandemic. I want it to be a normal thing. I want my, I want my kids social life back. I want my kids understanding of the world and being connected to it back. All of that stuff goes through the teacher. A lot of families drop their students off at school and they ask their teachers to handle about 12 different hats throughout the day, right? They're going to be the social worker. They're going to be the educator. Well, now there's also all the sort of mental health aspects of what is going on with being cooped up in your house. Teachers have had to figure out how to interact with kids and make just make sure they're okay before they can even start to educate them. So we're seeing... Uh, there's a survey, a recent survey by the National Education Association, which is the country's largest teacher union. And it said that 28% of educators said the coronavirus made them more likely to leave teaching or retire early. That's huge. I did a, you know, one of my interesting reporting days recently is I, I talked to a bunch of teachers at a school in Philadelphia, where it was a bunch of these teachers who were right near retirement. Some of them were a couple months away. Some of them were having their last year and they wanted to have their last sort of hurrah after 30 years of teaching. And the rigors and the difficulty of doing this had just pushed them out. They had left maybe maybe before they got their full pension or they didn't get that final year. They just said, look, this is too hard. I can't do this. I have to leave. And that's a story that we're seeing across the country. And that's a very concerning story. I mean, this is the kind of thing we need these people to be happy. We need these people to be ready. We need them to be fired up and we need them to be, uh, you know, rested. And right now they're not. And so that's something that another thing that parents need to think about. And I think everybody who is concerned about schools need to think about support a teacher, make a teacher feel good. Do something for a teacher these days. They really need the help right now. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, like you said, even before this pandemic, there was a a lack of appropriate appreciation, I think, for all that our teachers do. And now think about all the things that they've been asked to do in addition to to what is what was previously normal. Do you do you do you get the sense talking to these teachers, interviewing them, that they think that this year, you know, has just been a tough one, but next year will be better because the vaccines are coming and and all these things, or or do you get the sense that they feel like something has fundamentally changed that's going to last a lot longer? Every school year, teachers come to school preparing to deal with what they call the summer slide, right? Some of the stuff that you learned last year that you've lost because you were hanging out all summer and not, you know, doing classwork. Well, the summer slide is now a very long slide, almost a year-long slide perhaps for some students, and and if not, more than that. So that obviously is going to take some time to build back up. Teachers are very nervous and concerned about how to build that back, but they are optimistic about the future. A lot of them are worried about the future of budget cuts and just about things like the vaccine coming out and, you know, when what, when will it be out and how will that roll out? But they they feel like once you get them back in the classroom and get their students back in the classroom, they know what to do once you do that. They're excited for the opportunity to get back to what they like to do, which is teach kids in a classroom and turn those kids back on to education. And that's what they think that they're going to be able to do once they get their chance to do it. That was my conversation with Evan McMorris-Santoro, who's been covering education for CNN since this pandemic began. Like I said, when the school year started, I was skeptical that it could work and be safe. After all, little kids typically transmit respiratory viruses very early. I remember when my kids were young, if somebody came home with a cold, it was pretty much guaranteed everyone in the house was going to get it. I was worried that the same thing would happen with this coronavirus. Now, while things aren't perfect now, I am amazed at what teachers and educators are trying to do under these tough circumstances. I'm also amazed by the kids in whatever circumstances they're in, trying their best to show up for school. This year's been a tough one, no matter how you look at it, but there's also an end in sight now. My hope is that when things do begin to look more normal, that we don't leave anyone behind. That's something I hope you took away from today's podcast. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.